that provision is sunsetting. And so it will go back from the 13 million odd mark about seven may that's attorney dal houston returning as guest talking about the estate tax exemption amount that rolls back at the end of this year we'll discuss options that can be looked at should your estate be bumping into that potential for those death taxes which also will lead us into a great discussion on the uses and differences of a revocable trust a revocable trust is primarily a will substitute versus an irrevocable trust which does this watch you're doing is you're taking and getting that asset out of the taxpayer's name. Plus his thoughts on whether to leave your estate to the next generation outright or in a trust. That's all on today's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. We welcome you here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you tune in and joining us on our program today. Yeah, as you heard there in the opening, we are talking on estate planning. And I'll just tell you, it doesn't matter where you're at in the generational cycle. Today's information is going to be useful for all. I know a lot of times when we start talking about estate planning, I'm sure the younger generation thinks, well, mom and dad need to listen to that or uh, grandma and grandpa need to listen to that. But I would rather say we all need to listen to it because I believe when we talk about having sustainable ranches, the word sustainable has a lot of different meanings. One of them is just staying in business and being able to pass it to the next generation. And I think that starts with good estate planning. So that's really why this is a passion of mine as well, because I believe it's one of the reasons why we see a lot of ranches going by the wayside or selling out is because estate planning did not take place correctly. And so places have to be split up or sold off in order for things to happen. So that's really kind of behind some of this here today. I'll introduce my guests in just a little bit, but uh, just to kind of let you know what's also going on in our show here today. Later, of course, uh, Captain Tim O'Byrne, who's publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, will be in for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. By the way, the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine is out. I haven't had a chance just yet to get through it, but I'm pretty certain it's going to be full of a lot of great articles and information in there as well. Of course, it is bull sale buying season of course it is bull buying season and if you want to flip through that and see a lot of the different sales that are going on across the country that is one place where you can find a lot of great information on all the bull sales that you'll see going on here this spring and then of course meteorologist Don Day will be in as we take a look at that long-term weather he's got some ideas of what he thinks the month of March is going to look like yeah we talked about it last week but things are coming a little bit more into focus we'll talk about it with meteorologist Don Day well as we jump into to our program now attorney dal houston is joining us he's been a guest on our show here before he's with the firm of benson and houston out of alva oklahoma and dal thanks for joining us here today on the working ranch radio show well, I appreciate it. Glad for the invitation. You bet. Well, I always I always enjoy visiting with you because the subjects that you're extremely keen on and very aware of are also subjects that I find folks in agriculture and ranching also have a lot of questions about. And it really is, if in my opinion, probably one of the top three 
items that uh, that do weigh on ranchers' minds when we start talking about estate planning and those kinds of things. So I appreciate your expertise on those particular subjects. And folks, just so you know, too, we did have Dow on last year on a couple different episodes, one on episode 115 uh, about estate planning, and we're going to talk some about that here today as well, and also in episode 127, which was on the 1031 property exchange. And so both are subjects that Dow is extremely knowledgeable on. Well, let's jump into this. And and when I reached out to you, Dal, on this, uh, it really was about, are there any things, any major changes that are coming up with estate planning that we all need to be aware of? We can dive into some of that here in just a little bit, some of the bigger things when we talk about tax exemption, the amounts on tax exemptions. But just generally speaking, as we head into, into 2024, is there anything that you're watching from a general estate planning that we need to be aware of? Well, and, and we can talk about it later. I know you want to kind of move this into the later of the show. The big thing that that is coming up and people need to be aware of it, or at least those people with larger estate, is at the current point, the estate tax exemptions are changing in 2025. And so... You need to be aware of that. It's going from about $13 million per person to $7 million per person. So that is going to obviously pick up a lot more people. You know, we've been in a in a kind of a area for the past, oh, several years that estate taxes for most people have, it, have been kind of a non-issue, but it is going to become an issue for a lot of people. Okay. Unless Congress changes, they don't know what Congress is going to do right now. I, based on how, how the government is working, I don't feel very optimistic about it. So I, I'm planning on the worst yeah, at this yeah. point. So in, generally speaking, when we look at, you know, as you said, so much of this is reliant on what Congress would pass. With any changes that we've seen with IRS, has there been anything in the last year or so or, or besides the exemption deal that you see that's they're either looking at, the IRS is looking at, or things that we need to be aware of? Actually, not that not that I have seen, uh, and and that would appeal to most people. You know, there's there's a little private rule of things and things like that, and nuances. But no, at least in a general broad sense, no, not really, and not throwing the IRS under the bus. But you know, still coming out of the pandemic, things are just. You know, so much is still so backlogged that, you know, we haven't seen, I, at least in my practice, nor have I heard all of a lot of stuff going on that really affects most people. Mm-hmm. Well, you alluded to the fact of one of the big things that we need to be aware of is that exemption, tax exemption, that's going to be rolling back at the end of 2024. We're going to take a break here and we're going to come back. We're going to jump more into that and have you give us a little bit more details about that because with that happening, what does that mean for us as ranchers, for folks that are dealing with estates that could be being at the top end of some of those values, how that can be handled? All Also, we're going to be talking about whether to leave the estate to the kids outright or in a trust. We'll take a break here and come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Today's segment brought to you by Diamond V, immune support postbiotic feed additives because your animal's health deserves a healthier approach. Find out more at diamondv.com. We'll be back after this. 
When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit diamondv.com because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest today is attorney Dow Houston with the firm of Benson and Houston out of Alva, Oklahoma. Just a hop, skip, and a jump south of the Kansas border, right, Dow? Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, when I go home every night, I can see Kansas from our hilltop. So, yes, yep. just about 17 miles. <laughs> you bet. All right. Well, you had talked about in the previous segment as we were just looking through what are some of the big changes that we're anticipating regarding estate planning or tax tax issues that uh, ranchers could be dealing with as we look ahead into 2024. The biggest thing that you noted was that the tax exemption, which was $13 million per person, which would be $26 million for a married couple rolling back at the end of 24. Let's go a little deeper into that, just kind of lay that out again, and then we'll get into what can we do about it. Okay. Obviously, as it sets right now, that provision is sunsetting. And so it will go back from the 13 million odd mark to about 7 million. Now, that's obviously, it's going to be adjusted every year for inflation and everything. So I'm just going to call it 7 million and I'm going to call the past exemption 13 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it's going to change things dramatically or, or for a lot of people. It's still going to be able to double it. So as you are a, if you are a married couple, each spouse will have a $7 million exemption. So you can still pass on, done correctly, $14 million onto your beneficiaries without any estate tax. But that is a far cry from the $26 million that was out there. And so that's going to pick up a lot more ranchers, farmers than obviously it has. Now, Congress may change that, given the the, the turmoil in D.C. I personally, yeah, uh, and 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 this is this is just my opinion. I don't hold out much hope for that, mm-hmm. so I'm presuming it is going to roll back to seven million dollars. Yeah. Now, one of the things is that estate tax exemption also applies to a gift tax exemption. So you can either pass $13 million on as a result of my death to my beneficiaries, or in the alternative, I could give $13 million away. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that has been discussed is if you are in that situation where if they pull that back to $7 million and you say, now I've got an estate tax issue, it might behoove somebody to say, I'm going to give that away. And 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 I didn't generally, when I talk about giving it away, I don't mean just to, here it is, son, daughter, children, it, it's now yours. Rather, you could set that up in some kind of irrevocable trust to protect that and everything else. Now, that means it's still got to be a complete gift out of that, out of the taxpayer's estate. But it isn't just necessarily an outright 
here it is, children. Uh, I hope you don't blow it. Mm -hmm. So that is that is an option there. I'm not saying that's an option for everybody. Some people feel very personal about that, and I understand that. One of the other things that you can do is if you've got a, a husband and a spouse, and let's say that one of them died now or in the past, there is the ability to use their unused portion of that exemption going forward. So you want to make sure that you've preserved that. You can make a filing just to protect the right to use that going into the future. So if somebody passed away, let's say in 2023, and and now we're looking at it and say, gee, me, you know, if it now goes to seven million, we're going to have an issue. We can go back and make sure that they file on that deceased spouse to preserve their unused portion of that exemption, which again would be thirteen million dollars. Then, of course, we don't know when that surviving spouse will pass away. So we don't know what that exemption will or won't be then, but at least we've preserved as much exemptions as we can. Mm -hmm. So those are the big, easy things that I would be looking at if I had clients that was in that situation. Yeah. So Dow, with these changes, what are some of the things we were we can do? I know before we were going on air, you said there was some older estate planning practice that had been used many years ago, hadn't been used lately with the tax exemption as high as it was. But now that we see that lowering a bit, there could be some of those old planning practices that come back. What are some of those? Okay. Now, back when the tax exemption was a lot less, there was a lot of use of irrevocable trust. Mm -hmm. One of them was called an irrevocable life insurance trust that would help be set up to pay the estate taxes. And honestly, we used to do a lot of those oh, 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago when the estate tax exemption was lower. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it when it raised... Uh, it just left so many people not facing an estate tax exemption. There just wasn't a need to do it. I know we have talked about the irrevocable trust in our episode where we did in episode 115. You went through that in, in pretty good detail there. But I think just from a brief overview, let's hit that. After you do that, we'll take a break. And when we come back after that break, we'll get into the irrevocable life insurance. But just give us a topical overview of an irrevocable trust. Again, just as a refresher. Okay. A lot of people, and it, and it's understandable that they're not in the trust business every day, and they hear someone talk about an irrevocable trust. They talk about a revocable trust. A revocable trust is primarily a will substitute. It is just saying, upon my death, distribute my property as follows. It can have some a state tax language in there that helps you minimize a state tax, but it's really still more designed to avoid probate. An irrevocable trust, on the other hand, when people talk about irrevocable trust, what you're doing is you're taking and getting that asset out of the taxpayer's name. 
let's use this example. Let's say that I've got some property that is near, it's farmland, but it's near a metropolitan area. And I know that that property is going to appreciate a lot in value as the city grows towards it. Mm -hmm. If I leave it as it is, it's going to, not only is it now, but that growth is going to be part of my estate. If you create an irrevocable trust where you say, I give it away to this irrevocable trust. And usually, as a general rule, it's the children of the taxpayer who's the ultimate beneficiaries. But you're getting that out of your estate so that when you pass away and they look what is in your estate, that thing that is in the irrevocable trust is not part of your estate. You gave it away. You used part of your estate tax and gift exemption to give it away, but it is out of the estate. And not only that, but all that appreciation, like in that example, is also out of your estate. So when you hear people talking about trust and to kind of kind of put it into context, understand when people are talking about irrevocable trust, not always, but most of the time, it is about shifting and moving assets out of one's estate so they won't be included in that estate when they pass away. I hope that makes sense to everybody. Whereas a, a revocable trust is I call it a will substitute. Mm -hmm. It is a way to avoid probate. It's a way to simplify your estate rather than going through probate. Nonetheless, for the most part, is just similar to a will that I can change. If I say, hey, I want to change and leave this track to this child or or, you got changes in your life and you say, I need to to rearrange this. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I and and I really would encourage folks as Dal is going through this, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode 115, a great episode. Now let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into the second element that Dal's going to share with us regarding irrevocable life insurance as we address this topic in general of estate tax exemptions, rolling back at the end of this year from 13 million down to 7 million per person. We'll get into irrevocable life insurance policies in our next segment also later on we'll talk about whether to leave your estate to the kids outright or in a trust we still have a lot to talk about when we return here on the working ranch radio show this segment brought to you by the american gelvy association make your crossbreeding count with gelvy and balancer genetics find out more at gelvy.org we'll be back after this Capitalize on crossbreeding with Geld V and Balancer Bulls. Raise replacement females with added fertility, increased longevity, and greater productivity. Geld V and Balancer influenced females wean more pounds of calf per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer influenced cattle offer increased performance, improved feed efficiency, and had excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Make your crossbreeding count with Geld V and Balancer Genetics. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest today is Dal Houston with the firm of Benson and Houston out of Alva, Oklahoma. Definitely very knowledgeable in estate planning, which, as I was saying at the very front segment here today, I think one of the top three issues, if not one of the leading issues, that brings always a lot of consternation to us here in the ag industry. Uh, And so as we continue with that here today, we were talking about in the last segment the estate tax exemption rolling back at the end of this year and what are some of the practices that could be done to shield yourselves a a bit in that as it's going to be back to around that $7 million mark per person, which would be around $14 million for a couple. Dal, in the last segment, you gave us a brief overview of the difference between an irrevocable trust and a revocable trust. Let's talk about one of the other estate planning practices that may be starting to come back to being used again with the lowering of this exemption, and that is an irrevocable life insurance. Okay, let me start this explanation this way. Let's say that I have an estate and I know I'm going to have, or I'm fairly certain, I'm going to have an estate tax issue. If I just go get a life insurance policy, let's say that I'm going to have, I anticipate a million dollar tax obligation. I could go get a million dollar life insurance policy and and I could pay premiums on that. I could say that is now earmarked to pay my estate tax. But the problem is, if that's how you do it, that million dollar life insurance proceeds are included in the estate. So yeah, it may be there to help pay your estate taxes, but it is also going to make your estate tax and your ultimate estate larger. Yeah. So to accomplish, how do we structure this, what you do is you create an irrevocable life insurance policy that owns the policy. It isn't I, the taxpayer that owns it or the taxpayer that owns it. Rather, you've created this separate entity called an irrevocable life insurance policy. Now, what you do to fund that every year and to pay the premiums on it is you obviously you can gift money to your children to your grandchildren uh to those to those people you want to every year so what you do is you first take and use that annual exclusion amount and you first offer it to your children you say i am giving you this annual gift and of course the children understand that they are going to disclaim that so that it goes to the life insurance policy and pays the premium on that policy. And you do that year after year after year. It does not cut into your $13 million or upcoming $7 million exemption. It is just an additional thing that the IRS and the government gives you to pass property on to your heirs. Okay? So basically with that, Dal, you're paying the kids, so let's say in this example. You're paying the kids with the understanding basically that the kids are going to disclaim that, which that allows that then to go to the irrevocable life insurance trust mm-hmm. to pay the premiums okay. on that life insurance. Yeah, proceeds. okay, that makes sense. Yep, okay, I got okay. that. Okay. 
Now, when that person passes away, yes, it triggers the fact that that policy can now be paid, but it is not part of that taxpayer's estate. It is outside of that taxpayer's mm-hmm. estate. So when I first set that up and said, I just go get a life insurance policy, obviously it's subject to estate tax. So about half of it is gone in estate tax, which only leaves $500,000 if it's a million dollar policy to pay on your estate tax obligation. Mm-hmm. In this case, the full million dollars is available to pay on that on that tax obligation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you've done is you've separated those so that you, it is not part of your estate. Now, again, we saw a lot of those 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. We have not seen hardly any. I In fact, I, I said here since the exemption went high, I don't think we've seen anything that I can recall that we've done anything with that. But with it coming back to that $7 million mark, I haven't talked to my colleagues, but I would anticipate something like that being a tool that's going to come back into use. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Just to clarify, if you have purchased a life insurance policy with the idea strictly of using that policy to help pay any taxes, that's where this, this would have the value in that. Now, my question would be, as we, as you look at this, can you take an existing life insurance policy that you might have and convert that into an irrevocable life insurance policy? Uh, it, it, I, I think it's going to depend on on the value of that policy. I think, and 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 don't hold me. I I, I don't believe I've ever been involved in it, and so I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But you know, if it's a newer policy, so at that moment in time, it doesn't have a lot of value to it. Then you you might be able to. It's going to be considered a gift, and it's going to come off your exclusion amount. Okay. Uh, obviously, the best way to do it would be you know when I set up a new policy. Sure. And so I'm I'm going to have to feign a little bit of ignorance on whether you could do it with an existing policy or not. I think you probably could, but there's probably going to be some more tax implications to it that you're going to have to work through. Yeah, and I could see that would make a little bit of sense where a new policy starts up with what that is, where it's going to and and the value of what that is going to be. I'm sure there's several folks out there that have life insurance policies at a at a high value. I mean, I do. I have a pretty high but my, my the intent of mine was to take care of family if I'm no longer around, not really to pay any estate tax. Right. Cuz even if it was in an irrevocable life insurance policy, that money would still be available to the family no, no matter how they choose to use it, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, okay, let's take a break here now. When we come back, I know one of the things that uh, I think would be real appealing to talk about next is whether to leave your estate to the kids outright or in a trust. And that's definitely something I think would be valuable for folks to have listen in that dialogue as well. So we're going to take a break here and we'll get into that when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Animal health is key to your business, so how do you track cattle health treatments? 
Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history, all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest today is Dal Houston with the firm of Benson & Houston out of Alva, Oklahoma. By the way, their website is BensonHouston.com. If you do have questions about this kind of stuff, again, as we talk about here today, we are not uh, here today to be officially legal advice for you. You do need to visit with your own uh, legal professional or visit with Dal on this as well and, and just be aware of that as we talk about some of these subjects here today. Dal, I want to talk about uh, whether to leave our state to the kids just outright or in a trust. That's something I know that you deal with and have had a lot of conversations with and in your business with estate planning. So let's get into that a bit. Okay. Yeah, we work with a lot of farmer and ranchers. At least 75% of the conversations that I have, it comes up whether the parents should leave the property to the children outright, as you would traditionally, you know, through the years, you know, mom and dad pass away, they leave it to the kids and it's the kids and they do whatever with it. But it's more of a topic, a conversation of, do I leave that outright to them so it is now theirs outright, or do I leave it in trust to them? And first, I tell clients, really, there's not a right answer nor a wrong answer. It really is, you know, what is those clients' personal beliefs. But there are some really unknown and very positive aspects to leaving it in trust. And obviously, I'm not talking about anyone specific, so I'm not I'm not knocking somebody's children. But, you know, children, uh, they may be great children, but some children aren't very good with money. Mm-hmm. Some children aren't very good with picking spouses. Some children may drive or behave in negligently so that they're always the potential that they're going to have a wreck and they're going to get sued and everything else. When it is left in trust so that it says, I leave my estate in trust for my son, for instance, they can use that as though it was theirs. They can run their cattle on it. They can farm it if it's a farmer ranch or whatever it is. But the cool thing is it isn't necessarily theirs to lose. So let's say that a child is bad with money. So they run up all kinds of debt and they get sued. Can that creditor come in and say, oh, you got your mom and dad's farm and ranch. We will take that. The answer is no, they can't. Now, there's not saying they might be able to step in and say, we can get some of the income that you would derive from it potentially. Mm-hmm. But the farm and the ranch are protected because it was never that child's. They only, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this, just had the right to use that. Yeah. Okay. 
Same thing with if you've got a spouse who or a, a child who is not very good about picking spouses uh, and they get divorced. Uh, obviously, if it's theirs, you know, there is a good likelihood that the in-law or ex-in-law-to-be can say, well, part of this ranch, part of it's mine, and it gets broken up, and we see that kind of stuff happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if that is held in trust for that child or children, then it is not theirs to lose. Mm-hmm. Finally, let's say, and I, I use this example that, you know, we so many people use cell phones and somebody's driving down the road talking on their cell phone and they have an accident and they kill somebody. And so now they got a great big judgment against them. And uh, that judgment creditor comes in and says, well, you know, we'll just take the farm and ranch. No, they can't in this instance because... It is not theirs to take. Whereas if you left that outright to those children, it is theirs to lose. And so obviously the children do lose some degree of control by them not getting it. Does that, on the other hand, outweigh that almost insurance Policy, and I use that term not as a true insurance policy, but 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 just as an analogy. Safety. Do I lose that protection, which is more valuable? Now, a lot of times the children will be more aggravated that they didn't get it outright because they are going to lose some degree of control. But you know, if you just look at it from a, a very objective basis personally to me in today's world is you know people get sued and there's so much stuff that can happen it is a wonderful thought to say i've got the right to use this valuable asset and i can't lose it that is really something big Mm -hmm. to me is certainly worth discussing when doing an estate plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real quick on that, Dal, the question would be, I think from the next generation would be, how does that work with leveraging and, and borrowing against that when it's in a trust? Well, you, you can put in there, they can borrow against it, maybe buy additional properties or whatever and things like that. So there are some abilities to grow that so that you're not just stuck in this one instance. And you can also put in, let's say that, for instance, that you have children who don't have any interest in operating the farm and ranch. You can still put in there that they can convert that asset into some other form of asset so they could sell the ranch and convert it into some kind of a a mutual account or whatever, And so they've got that flexibility to change it into some other form of asset, but it is still being protected. And it might say that they are entitled the income generated from that asset as opposed to actually getting into the corpus or the principal. So there are ways to Mm -hmm. handle that. But again, and, and I'm not saying it's a right answer. It is not a right answer for everybody, but it is at least a topic worth discussing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think along those lines, let's say a family just went ahead and decided to leave something outright to that next generation. It might behoove the next generation to look at what you just were talking about <laughs> and putting it into a trust themselves, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, just for, yeah. You know, and, really. And, and generally trust can go only on so long by law. They can only go on so long. So it can't just go on forever. And not only that, the planning involved and the contingencies just become overwhelming. But it can pass from generation to generation. And then this gets to be created into a new trust and create that intergenerational wealth and stability. Again, I'm not saying it's the cure-all for everybody but it is, at least in my opinion, something worth discussing. Yeah, for sure. Very good topic there. I think that uh, is something that a lot of folks do think about. Let's jump into, as we wrap this up here, we had you back in episode 127 as you were giving, really went in depth about 1031 Property Exchange. You have now a YouTube channel that goes into that where you're putting some YouTube shorts out there that people can go if they have questions about 1031s. Talk about that just a bit. Yes. Yes. We recently started a uh, YouTube channel just for Section 1031s, Frequently Asked Questions, to help bring people up to speed, to enlighten people. It's not just for our clients. It's for anybody that's doing a 1031 and has questions about it. We just recently started. So I think there's 10, maybe 15 videos up right now. And we're trying to add multiple videos per week. We want to get that out to Oh, at least 200 videos and kind of get them organized into uh, categories so that obviously I don't mind getting calls and questions about 1031s. Can we do this? Can we do that? But what we're doing is taking it and boiling it down into the most frequently asked questions, questions that are important, questions that may not pop up to the client that they can look at and see. And so we're really excited about that. And, you know, I I will say that right now we're doing it in office, our editing. I don't think anybody's going to be contacting me uh, and, and wanting me to change careers and to be a video editor. Uh, But the content is good. And we try to put that in simple terms and uh, we're really excited about it. You bet. Well, Dal, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. I think uh, it's always it's always nice to talk and keep updated on estate planning. I would encourage folks, as we talked here today about some very key things, also go back and listen to episode 115 and 127, other episodes that I've had with Dal on here as we talk about estate planning, section 1031, and, and those kinds of topics are very valuable. Dal, thanks again for joining us here. Glad to hear as we were talking before we went on air here today, you guys have been getting some moisture down there in, in northwestern Oklahoma. It's a good start to the year. So thanks for joining us. 
Well, thanks, Justin. It's, it's good to visit with you. You bet. And again, our guest today, Mr. Dal Houston with the firm of Benson & Houston out of Alva, Oklahoma. A great resource there with a lot of knowledge when it comes to estate planning. That's a pretty big deal for a lot of us in agriculture. He is very receptive to questions you might have, so please feel free to reach out to him. Their website where you can find their contact information is BensonHouston.com. And finally, just a reminder that our conversation here today is not meant for your own legal advice but rather informational and if should you have any legal questions please feel free to reach out to dal himself or to your respected attorney as well stay with us when we come back the captain tim o'burn publisher and editor of working ranch magazine will be in for this week's edition of tim's two cents and meteorologist don day will point out the three things he is looking at that's indicating the month of march is going to be a bit stormy we'll be back after this There are lots of nutrition tubs out there, but none can match the True Blue commitment of Vitalix. Our tubs offer you the most concentrated nutrition at the lowest cost per day. That means more profit for your operation and improved performance for your cow herd. In fact, research shows Vitalix tubs increase feed efficiency by 20% while boosting conception rates, herd health, and weaning weights. Learn more at Vitalix.com. Vitalix, the True Blue Tub. Fascinated by our wild weather? Now you can learn, appreciate, and understand the weather in your own backyard with the new Tropo Rain Gauge. Having achieved the highest rating of any product reviewed by theweatherstationexperts.com, the Tropo boasts rugged durability, impeccable accuracy, and precision to the hundredth of an inch. Visit MeasureRain.com to order a Tropo today and use code RAINDAY, that's R-A-I-N-D-A-Y, for free shipping and 10% off. Go to MeasureRain.com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we continue on now here today. We're going to turn now and take a look at our long-term weather. Joining us, as he does each and every week, is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, last week even, we mentioned a little bit into looking into the month of March. Let's go a little bit more into that because we definitely do have some signals, some things indicating that the first three weeks of March are going to be a change from what we have had in the latter part of February. So let's go through those three different things. I know starting off right off is there is a pretty good warm air mass that's going to start building, and that's going to be one of the first things that we're noticing. Yeah, as, as we go through this stretch of what's been very mild weather for a lot of the U.S. here recently, I think a lot of folks are just throwing in the towel and saying, well, winter's done. But those three things you mentioned are something that we call teleconnections. And a teleconnection is something that you look at from a big picture. It's it's something that you would see basically on a hemispheric situation. And they tend to be teleconnections, the word connection, meaning we can connect the dots. Mm-hmm. And when we see these patterns evolve, historically, they've given us clues about what's to come. And it's it's not something that happens immediately. But when these three things work together, they do bring about a weather pattern change for North America. And that's what we're going to see. The first one, as you mentioned, is we're going to have a stratospheric warming event. Now, we had one of these in late December and into early January. Now, shortly after that event, when the stratosphere gets warm up in those high latitudes over the North Pole region, it allows a lot of Arctic air the ability to come south. They want to those air masses want to go further south as the atmosphere expands. 
shortly after that is when we have the big Arctic outbreak in the middle of January. Now, I'm not saying we're going to have another one that's going to be that big, but that is a cold signal. So that's signal number one. Okay. Down the road in the coming weeks, colder weather is likely going to escape Canada again and come back into lower 48. The second one is the Eastern Pacific Oscillation, which is a, a pattern of high pressure and low pressure across the North Pacific that historically signals a colder weather pattern for the U.S. That is going to go into a negative phase next week. That's a cold signal. That's a cold teleconnection. And mm -hmm. the third one is the Arctic Oscillation, which is a, a way to measure the pressure patterns across the Northern Hemisphere and how the Arctic interacts with the lower latitudes. That is going into a negative phase. That is a cold signal. So the three big drivers of what we use to make a long-term forecast are all going into negative phases. And that lines up to expecting the weather to be a lot different once we leave February and as we get into March. And I really think it's going to be coast to coast, okay. but it's really going to start in the north and the west first. Okay. So as that, as that happens... What are we looking at as far as if we were just to kind of move from west to east across the country? And I realize from that there's also north and south. But as we look at those different regions, what are we going to see with that? Well, it's first going to affect western Canada, British Columbia and Alberta early next week with much, much colder temperatures and snow. And that will then spread into the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Idaho and Montana will get into the mix as well. And then it's going to sweep all the way down into Arizona and New Mexico. So by the middle of next week, the, that's when the pattern begins to shift. And those areas are going to see much colder temperatures. However, for the central and eastern U.S., initially, that's just going to push warm air out ahead of it. So we're going to see real warm temperatures in the south. I mean, we could see 70s and 80s next week in south Texas. Mm -hmm. um, but that colder weather in the west will begin to progress eastward the deeper we go into March. And that also means the northern plains, the Dakotas in the upper Midwest. So uh, March typically is a month that can see an increase in storminess. Mm -hmm. And we certainly think that's going to be the case. It'll be first felt in the West. I think the middle part of March, the second and third weeks of March, the, the Midwest, the Corn Belt, the Great Lakes, will start to see some of that cold stormy pattern move in. Is there going to be much moisture in it? Yes, I think there will be. When those those three teleconnections we talked about, what you get is you get a lot of Pacific and a lot of Canada. Okay. And if you put those two together, that's a recipe to generate very strong, what we call mid-latitude cyclones. Mm -hmm. They tend to develop those bigger, larger storms that can be very efficient at producing significant amounts of moisture. So uh, we're, we're going to see some pretty interesting weather here in the coming weeks, even though we've had a patch of weather in many areas over the last seven to 10 days. It's been very benign. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Always helpful to know, especially this time of the year with a lot of new crop on the ground. When I say that, I'm meaning calves and lambs and even guys probably starting to look at getting in the field too. So appreciate you joining us here today and giving us the outlook. Sounds good. And again, that is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. You can find his daily video podcast each and every morning by going to his website at dayweather.com. There's a link to his YouTube channel. I also would mention as we get kind of headed into the spring of the year, don't want to get too, my skis too far in front of myself here, but as we are looking at some changing seasons, maybe you're interested in some weather instruments, whether it's digital weather stations or rain gauges or thermometers, a lot of different things you can take a look at there 
as some things that he recommends. So check it out. You can go to his website at dayweather.com. Well, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, is standing by for a special edition of this week's Tim's Two Cents. Let's listen in. I want to share an excerpt from a Western Horseman book called Legendary Ranches that I contributed to many years ago on the CS Cattle Company. I went and rode with the family for a few days and got a really good look into uh, that operation in Cimarron, New Mexico. Come on, Susie. Linda Davis called in a motherly tone. She was talking to a cow as her gentle-natured sorrel horse kept the pace, allowing Linda to concentrate on moving the cattle she enjoys so much. The cows respectfully fell in line. Come on, she said again, but to no particular cow. The cows have heard that same reassuring refrain a million times before. So has the family. It is Linda's trademark. Every good cow hand has one, and Linda obviously is very good. Raised by her father, former Bell Ranch manager Albert K. Mitchell, this intelligent, caring woman learned at an early age how to ranch and how to do it right. Dad taught us how to do everything gentle, recalled Linda, reflecting on her relationship with the remarkable man considered a legend in the West. But he also taught us how to look a person in the eye when we shake his hand. Now, today we say goodbye to Linda Davis. She crossed the Great Divide not long ago. And I am proud and happy that I got to know her and her family so many years ago. Back to you, Justin. Well, Captain, it's always tough to lose someone. It's even tougher when we lose the good ones. And our thoughts and prayers go out to the family here today from all of us at the Working Ranch Magazine and Working Ranch Radio Show. Stick around. We'll put a wrap on this week's show when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Capitalize on crossbreeding with Geld V and Balancer Bulls. Raise replacement females with added fertility, increased longevity, and greater productivity. Geldvi and Balancer-influenced females wean more pounds of calf per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer-influenced cattle offer increased performance, improved feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Make your crossbreeding count with Geldvi and Balancer genetics. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit diamondv.com because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I got to tell you, I'm on the road this weekend as I'm following kids. We are in the middle of regional basketball tournaments, and so I'm on the road. And I meant to throw in my latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine, completely forgot. So here's what I did. And I'm only mentioning this because I hadn't done it up until now, is I went online onto the website at workingranchmag.com. And I see there where you can go and sign up for their newsletter and also get a digital copy of the latest issue 
issue or all the previous issues of Working Ranch Magazine. So I did that. And lo and behold, there it is. I can sit there and I can go through and read the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine right from there. And as I look at that, kind of flipping through the different articles that are in this latest edition of Working Ranch Magazine, there's a couple that do catch my eye. And one I'm looking at is on page 67 with the National Grazing Lands Coalition, an article written by Loretta Sorensen, improving the national perception of livestock and their usefulness in improving ecosystems. And boy, I'll tell you what, that is a big issue for us here in agriculture, not only telling our story, but also telling what the cattle industry can do in terms of improving the ecosystem and the land, especially as you heard a couple of weeks ago, some of the pressure that we're seeing on public lands, so whether it's through the BLM or the Forest Service. So an article there I would point you out to on page 67. Another one that kind of caught my eye, hadn't gotten into just yet, was on page 76, Genetics Thinking Outside Your Fence, an article by Jamie Pullman about creating potential partnerships that strengthen both your herd and then the network is all critical to the success of your ranch and, and marketing your livestock and improving the genetics and your ranching operations. So just a couple articles and I only mentioned that mainly because I had never done this before where I'd went and signed up for the newsletter and also the digital copy. Check it out for yourself by going to workingranchmag.com. Now, speaking of websites, and I mentioned this several times throughout our interview here today with Dal Houston as we were talking about estate planning, a couple episodes that I had done with him. I'd encourage you to check out our podcast website at workingranchradio.com where you will find all of our shows that we've had. And one of the things I've mentioned this before, and if you have not been a regular listener of our program, a lot of the shows that we try to do here would be what we call evergreen, which basically means that they're topics that at any point in time, you can listen to them and find a lot of relevance to them. Just as the two episodes that I mentioned this week with our interview with Dal Houston, episode 115 and 127, there are others as really a lot of the topics we try to cover here as a rancher myself are topics that I think are relevant to a lot of folks across the country, no matter where you're at geography wise or what you're doing, you'll find a lot of these shows have a lot of relevance to what you're doing here in the ranching industry. So I just wanted to point that out. Again, that podcast website is workingranchradio.com. And of course, you can also, if you have a preferred podcast provider, you can also find those shows on there as well. And before we head out, a quick thank you to our sponsors of this segment here today, the American Gelvie Association. Make your crossbreeding count with Gelvie and Balancer Genetics. Find out more at gelvie.org. And Diamond V, natural immune support postbiotic feed additives because your animal's health deserves a healthier approach. Find out more at diamondv.com. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. I'm Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.